Welcome to Crafting Learning, a curriculum design podcast with your hosts, Andy Tyson, Lacey Ramsey, and me, Rashawn Richards. All right. How are you doing, Andy? How are you doing, Lacey? Great. Great. <laughs> We're still getting good at this podcast thing and figuring out who's talking when. Yeah. So this podcast is about talking to our colleagues here at New Canaan Country School and their instructional design, their curriculum development, finding out what's happening in the classroom and what motivates to always be improving the experiences that we are creating for our students. What I've loved about these conversations so far is really hearing people who are knowledgeable and passionate about what they do at this school, and it is just a daily inspiration. I noticed you use the word conversations. This is the first episode. And so this is season one, episode one. But I like that you're already projecting that there will be multiple episodes. of Today, uh, it's interesting because our first interview is with two amazing educators and colleagues. Uh, But Lacey, you happen to be one of them. I do. And I can't wait for all of you to hear what Hallie and I were working on over the summer. The topic was executive functioning. And I really appreciated how you described the work and the impact on students. I agree. I found myself reflecting on not only my childhood and young adult life and adult life, but also thinking about our students, the real skills, the real gift we can give them leaving here, more than whatever content area expertise they master, are these executive functioning skills. If we can ensure all students have these tools, any challenge that arises in the future will be something they can tackle. Well, I'm hoping that this first episode will resonate with people all over campus because really everyone has executive functioning skills that are developed and that are still developing. So I appreciate any element of learning or program design where that element shows up all over the place. It's not just in one particular subject area or discipline or one age group. The topic that you and Hallie focused on is one of those. What did you think about being a podcast guest Ooh, that part was fun. I think this provides a really good opportunity to reflect and to share so that everybody else has a sense of what our colleagues are doing. All right. So let's hear Lacey and Hallie and our conversation about executive functions. Thank you, Hallie and Lacey, for being on the podcast so that we can learn more about you and your work. So if we could start, could you each... Tell us your name, role, what you do here at Country School, and any other things about your background that our listeners might find interesting. Sure. My name is Hallie Dorfman, a learning resources teacher for 7th and 9th grade, and this year Lacey and I are co-teaching an 8th grade section. It's my second year at Country School, and um, before coming here I was a learning specialist at another school, working individually with students. Um, And I'm Lacey Ramsey. This is my fifth year at Country School as a learning resource teacher. Fun fact, Hallie and I actually went to grad school together and in a program for transformative literacy, so for working with students who were struggling readers. So it's fun to be back together actually implementing what we've learned. How did you both end up at Country School? So I was at Eagle Hill School in Greenwich, and... um, 
I was on maternity leave and was sort of like, hmm, I could use a change. And this school was kind of in my backyard. So I came, there happened to be an opening for a learning resource teacher at the time. And I came, I interviewed, loved the place, and here I am. And um, my husband and I lived in Brooklyn, um, which is, and I was teaching in the city, and we decided to move to Portchester in Westchester. Um, and so I was doing the commute for a little bit, but that was not sustainable. And I just remembered Lacey always saying how much she loved her school. And so I reached out because I was like, can't hurt, you know, let's see. And she was like, actually, <laughs> we need a learning specialist. And um, yeah, and then that's, that's how I ended up here. Can you share a high level overview about what your summer work was about? We wanted to design a curriculum that would help lab students achieve success with both academics and their own personal growth. And then within the curriculum, we wanted to provide them with tools to support them kind of across the board, but mostly focusing on reasoning, note-taking, study strategies, effective ways to manage their time, test-taking strategies, self-advocacy skills. So those were just some of the areas that we knew we wanted to focus on in the curriculum. Lab students are students who have some type of learning difference. So it's typically a language-based learning difference. Sometimes someone who has ADHD and it affects their learning will also be in our program. But what we do is we, we, we do like a proactive and reactive approach. So we will proactively teach skills that are missing or that aren't as developed, like writing skills, reading skills, organizational skills, and then we will also react to the curriculum. So if essays are coming up or there's a big test that kids need help coming up with study plans, we'll help them with that as well. What prompted you to put in for this summer curriculum work? Was there a uh, lack you noticed in the current curriculum or is it really dreaming big and how to build better? We've noticed that the kids' schedules and um, their classes are so jam-packed that even though in an ideal world, lab would be kind of 50-50 reactive and proactive, it tended to be more of um, on the reactive side just because of how much they always had going on. Um, and so kind of like our dream was that we could teach, have, have more, create more space to be able to teach these skills directly. And if we had to use it as a reactive piece, we could. For, so, for example, um, in history, if Marshall said something like, "The we we have a test coming up, and I looked at their notes, and they're just not thorough, thorough enough for this test." So then we said, "Oh, well, our EF curriculum now has a note-taking unit, and so we were able to go to it out of order um, because of the need of the kids." That idea is just amazing in any discipline. Having all of these one-off units accessible and ready to use whenever needed, allowing the teachers the flexibility, just as you said, to change the order, to go out of order, to reach ahead, to find whatever is needed in that moment, and be able to respond quickly. It's not a, let us plan this thing now, we need three more days, but we'll get back to you. To have it ready is awesome. Right, and it makes, it also allows us to be um, more intentional with, um, and like responsive to the feedback, not just of what we're seeing that the kids need, but as Lacey was saying, like feedback we're getting from teachers. And our thought too was that 
if lab students see this with us in lab and in their content areas, then they're getting a double dose of how do I study for a test? Or how do I craft the answer to a short answer question on a, on a quiz or test? And by pushing it out, we're also reaching more students. It's going beyond just the students who are in lab. And all, ideally, all of the students in the upper school are, are getting those kind of explicit skills taught to them around what are the most effective ways to study. Which then even becomes a shared language among students. If they all have been taught the same approach, they can now be in the hall saying, oh, did you try the strategy six on the, and that's right. peer reinforcement becomes possible too. If I could zoom out for a second, this wasn't a question I gave you, you know, in our pre-setup for this, but. You, you had warning what was going to be asked? A little bit. Oh, I did told, I not send you this I list? I show up, there's going to be something to talk about. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Lucky for you, yeah. there is. We'll, we'll work on the production side of things here. How do you define executive functioning? Um, so executive functioning is kind of like a big umbrella, and then there's all of these other smaller categories that fall within that. So time management, um, study skills, reasoning. So these, they're things that we almost take for granted that as adults, we have had more experience and we've been able to figure out for ourselves and identify like what strategies work for us in terms of, I don't know, like keeping a planner or an agenda or, you know, everybody does it differently. Some people rely on their phone. Some people have an actual like agenda that they write in. These are skills that everybody needs throughout their entire lives. So in your academic career and beyond. I saw that growing up. I'm the oldest of four boys. The first three of us were the students who you go into a room, the teacher says something, we say, yeah, we got that, and we aced the test. My youngest brother, we found out in high school, has dyslexia, and he actually learned how to learn. And now when any of us are facing anything challenging, those of us who never had to learn how to learn are kind of like, well, uh, and we figure it out. But he's like, oh, here's an actual strategy that I've tried before. Let's work it this way. Yeah, and, and so we always say with teaching, it's not, it's not just what you're teaching, but it's how you're teaching. It's the same with learning, and, and let's use studying as an example. It's not just what you're studying, but it's how you're studying. And you're right that as things become more complex, it's the people who know how to do these things that are gonna be more successful. Part of this curriculum is taking a strengths-based approach. And so when they understand themselves more as learners and understand what, what, are even, what are executive functioning skills, and we're identifying that for them explicitly and teaching them strategies and teaching them different ways of organizing themselves um, or reasoning based on what type of learner you are, they're able to see, okay, it's not that I'm not able to do this, but I have to just do it in a different way. And so the first unit that we created was identifying your strength. That way we could use that as the sort of basis for all for everything that came next. What I'm hearing is one of the indicators of understanding or being able to demonstrate understanding, which is transfer, right? So take what you've learned and be able to apply it into a novel setting. And so with your description and definition of executive function, by nature, it's something to be transferred. It's not time management within the context of math. It's, it's time management applied to math, to science, to English class. And so I think that it's set up for deep meaning. It's not, I learned this and I'm gonna forget it. When the kids um, start to realize what works for them, 
and, and it's coming from them, there's more buy-in too. And, and they feel empowered when they are able to come up with strategies that they see work for them. So I had a student um, who was going home and homework was a bit of a nightmare, not only for him, but also his parents. Um, and he came up with a plan with me this week and he said, you know, the other day I went home and I set my timer for five minutes and I gave myself a five minute break right when I got home. And then after that, I set my timer for 20 minutes and I would work for 20 minutes and then I set my timer for five minutes and I'd give myself a break. And then I would go back and set another timer for 20 minutes. And he was like, I think that's how I want to do my homework because it really worked for me. And he, he figured that out for himself. He discovered that for himself. And so now that's something that not only is a successful strategy for him, but he's motivated to try it because he came to it on his own. We included that in one of our plan, the Pomodoro method. Pomodoro method yeah. yeah. Um, you work for 20 minutes, you break for five, you work for 20, you break for five. And it's this idea that um, taking a break is, is a good thing. I was actually so impressed when he shared his strategy with me because I knew that that's an actual strategy called the Pomodoro method. But I, there's no world in which he saw that somewhere. So, and I didn't want to name it for him because I wanted him to have ownership over it. But I was really impressed because it's an actual method that we actually included in yeah. one of our units. Is there any kind of like specific resource or plan or example that we might make available to our listeners that you might want to just describe right now? We created a whole scope and sequence. And in that are links to these individual units that we're talking about that can be used totally out of context. We're happy to share that. The more people who are exposed to this, the better. There's also, we created a student journal so that while, um, while the lessons are being taught, there's always something that the students are doing. Um, and then at the end of every lesson, there's a reflection part of the journal where they're thinking about, okay, how can I use one of the strategies that was just taught to me now moving forward? Ideally, the next time we would have a lesson, we would start by reflecting on, okay, you used that strategy, how did that go for you? But the great thing about the scope and sequence and all the lessons is that they can be modified for any grade, any topic. Um, so they can you know, really become whatever teachers need and what we and what we mentioned earlier is that they can also be used in isolation. And since this is an audio podcast, we just spell out the URLs to all those links yes, live each on one. tape. Especially if it's a Google Doc link so that okay. you have to alternate between the lower and the capital case. Yeah. And yeah. Great. So that's that is how that's we, how we make our the last yeah eight minutes are just gonna be spelling out URLs. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned the 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 Pomodoro student uh, example are there any other impact stories, whether it's with students or colleagues already? You know, we're only a couple of months into the school year, uh, but the things that you've been excited about just seeing amongst your sphere? Anytime you don't have to reinvent the wheel, it's nice <laughs> as a teacher. So when we pushed out the study strategies unit, I think that that was exciting. And we had teachers asking us for more resources. And um, so we've gotten good feedback there. And, and as I mentioned before that we've gotten good feedback from the students and they kind of have these like light bulb moments where they're like, oh yeah, that really did work for me. Or like, we'll teach them a new strategy and maybe in the moment they hate it, which did happen to us in the moment we were trying to teach them something. They were like, ah, this is so stupid. And then the next day they came in and we had somebody say, I actually liked it. What did she say? She said, okay, I'm 75% liking it now. (laughs) And 25% still on the fence. 
Right. So the the students, we've had some really good feedback from them too. Just I think they also just kids are sponges. Like they like to learn new strategies and new ways of doing things, especially when they recognize something is really hard for them. They want new strategies of how to do it and how to approach it if it's going to, you know, help them to be more successful. Yeah, and I mean our kids know what what's hard for them and what's challenging. And if they see us taking the time to teach these skills, I think it validates that oh, this isn't something I'm just expected to know how to do. I think the best compliment that a learning specialist can receive at the end of the year or like the beginning of the following year is so-and-so is so confident or so-and-so, their self-advocacy skills are so strong. They come, you know, and ask questions and, and in class they're asking questions. They're not afraid to ask questions. Like that's the best kind of compliment that we can get. And ultimately, I would think that is what helps create those lifelong learners better than acing AP calculus. It's knowing how to tackle problems, knowing they can be solved, having strategies to solve them, and knowing those strategies can be applied to whatever challenge might face them and whatever challenges may not even exist yet. That's amazing. Well, I I so appreciate how you both put students at the center of everything you've been talking about. It's clear that you're dedicated to this work and are pros at it and everybody is benefiting from the effort that you've put in, not just into this project, but all of your work. So thank you for that. I have just one more question. Uh, You engaged in this summer curriculum design experience. For other folks who might consider doing something similar, do you have any advice or recommendations on how to approach the work? Yeah, so first I think thinking big picture is key. What do your students need? It's kind of like when you think about inventing something. What Find a need and then come up with the solution. Or do you have things. inventions? Have you invented things? I may. <laughs> okay. No, everything's already been invented. Okay, so, so think... <laughs> Think big picture, right? You you want to solve you want to um, solve a problem. So what do your students need? And then I think another big piece, unrelated to that, is people I think get hung up on the pacing and the timing of units when they're creating when they're creating curriculum. Um, we did that last. So we thought about what is needed in the self advocacy unit. We made a plan, and then we said, okay, how long do we think this plan will take? And then we did that for each unit, and we saw then how we could map the units over the course of the year, rather than making, uh, rather than starting with the calendar and trying to make our plan fit within that. Of course, you may have to go back and tweak some things if you run out of days. But um, just really, what do we need, and then, and then how will it fit? Not the other way around. Great suggestion. So we worked backwards, and then a couple of other things that I think were. Um, really helpful in our work was we kept track of everything in one place. So our plans, our notes, our resources, um, it was all just with within one document um, so that it was just easily accessible. Um, and then also we, I would, I think we both would recommend consulting other resources that already exist um, and then modifying them. Um, when we were in grad school, we had a teacher um, Lisa Simon, who one of the first things she said to us was, steal like an artist. If you see somebody else is doing something really well, steal it, take it. And and giving credit where credit is due, obviously, but um, always, always keeping that in mind, that there's a lot of really good resources out there. There's a very clever author named Austin Kleon who has these books 
one's called Steal Like an Artist. We had to read it for yeah. grad school. It's now a coffee table book, but um, yes, and we had a project or I think we had to go around and um, like notice things and then somehow use them. So we had to practice Stealing Like an Artist. And um, we read it as teachers. So we would always talk about, okay, so now how can we do this as a teacher? And so I'm always thinking steal like an artist. If it exists and it's good, use it, change it, or use it exactly how it is, whatever works best for your group. This is different than AI stealing from artists. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. I was getting upset over here. Oh, you know what that sound means? It's time for our final phase of the podcast, where we ask our guests for their top tips or their hip hacks or their other alliterative titles. The example I always give is to a new band student teacher, if some scores don't come with the saxophone part, they're in a different key than trombones, music written in a different clef than trombones, but if you give a saxophone player the trombone part and just tell them to pretend there are two more sharps, it'll read perfectly. So I guess a, a tip I can give or like a life hack um, now, well, might not be as relevant now because we're transitioning into hot coffee season. But when you have iced coffee and it's getting all sweaty and you're like it's getting on your hands and all over your things, you can ask for a hot cup and you put the iced coffee in the hot cup and it kind of serves as a koozie for your iced coffee. And you can shake anyone's hand and you don't have that wet hand. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's great. Okay, so if you're having a productivity issue and you want to get some work done, you shut your door and you look at your computer like you're on a Zoom. Like you put your hand motions in and you shake your head a couple times. And when someone comes to your door and they do that, are you on a Zoom hand motion? You just look at them and you say, yeah, yeah, I'll come see you later. I, I might do that every now and then. I'm now playing back a few times I've walked by this door. Yeah, I'm actually thinking, I, I come by your door. <laughs> Quite often. And now for the three people sitting here with me, I won't do it to you. Because <laughs> yeah. you're all safe. Uh, well, uh, Lacey and Holly, thank you so much. Uh, Holly, good luck in this next phase, and we wish you all the best. Yeah, I. it's bittersweet, but tomorrow is actually my last day this year um, because I'm going to be having a baby girl. So any any day now. <laughs> Any day. But luckily, we got this podcast recording in. So yes. This is a top priority. I am, I am certain of it. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you both so much. Thanks, Andy. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode of Crafting Learning, please like, share, comment, and or follow. And stay tuned for future content.